Welcome to Demolition News Radio. I'm your host, Mark Anthony. So last week marked the end of an era. That fact was largely lost amidst the latest outing of the World Demolition Awards, but it was the end of an era nonetheless. And maybe it was fitting that it should end quietly and modestly and without too much fuss. The World Demolition Awards started 12 years ago, and one of the people selected to act as a judge at that time was John Woodward of C&D Consultancy. He was the perfect choice. Widely respected and fiercely independent, John Woodward was also about to begin his time as President of the Institute of Demolition Engineers. That IDE presidency was a very public acknowledgement of John's commitment to the wider demolition industry, a lot of which has flown under the radar. But there is barely a training course or set of guidance notes in the UK demolition industry that didn't pass across John Woodward's desk. Not that he'd tell you that himself. Together with his predecessor as IDE president, Terry Quornby, John laid the foundations for the demolition degree course that has now seen its first graduates. And it's no coincidence that it was the University of Wolverhampton, the seat of learning closest to John's hometown, that delivered the first demolition degree. In addition to all that, he and I came up with the idea of Demolition News together, and he was my co-author on a pair of children's books, My Dad Does Demolition, and My Dad Drives a Digger. Through all of this, John Woodward served continuously and tirelessly as a World Demolition Awards judge. But after 12 years in which the event has grown and gone global, John has chosen to step down as a judge. But I'm delighted he's taken the time to join us on the show today. And we'll be right back after this. The right cover at a fair price. At Amicus Insurance Solutions, we look after hundreds of contractors and have a team who have helped many demolition contractors for many years. One of our specialists, Shane, has guested on Demolition TV and genuinely loves helping people. We look after some well-known demolition companies and work closely with specialist A-rated insurers to bring you the right cover at very competitive premiums. We take time to understand the methods you use to ensure there are no misinterpretations. For a frank conversation, please call Shane Pace on 0208-773-5384 or email shane.pace at amicus-insurance.com. Good afternoon, Mr. Woodward. How are you doing? I'm fine, Mark. How are you? Yeah, all very well, thanks. Um, I've, I've just been giving you the, the, the big up on the intro there, but it, you really have been on quite a ride with the World Demolition Awards. 12 years non-stop. Have there been any, any real sort of personal highlights for you over those years? Yeah, I, I think initially um, both KHL, DRI and myself, myself didn't really know how long it would run for. Um, the initial comment was, we'll try it for a year or two and see what happens. And it's just grown and grown. And I just think it's done really well. It's certainly a, a world global award now. Um, there's been a few highlights. There's some, been some really good entries over the years. I think one of my favourites was one from Liberty Industrial in Australia who um, took down an iron smelter right out in the middle of nowhere. And the logistics and the planning on that uh, was pretty fantastic. And it's, I suppose because I tend to be a bit of a planner and a list maker myself, um, those are the, the jobs that perhaps attract my attention. Um, I'm also uh, was very impressed uh, with... Despay over the years and with Erith. Erith continue again this year. They win. They produce top quality work in the UK. 
a great varied uh, stream of work, different jobs, different projects, different categories that they entered in, and they've won the, the best in show um, in previous years. So Erith have been particularly good. Safe Dam have been good, obviously, from a, a explosive point of view, and we've been lucky enough to work on a number of Safe Dam projects. But I think really the one company that stood out for me all the time has been Despay. Um, because despite to me a true demolition engineering they they seem to find a solution and they work hard to get the solution they don't necessarily do the demolition with what piece of kit they've got i remember one of the projects that uh, actually didn't win an award but was still a great project they produced a spider system to sit one of their machines on top of a, a set of silos to demolish it and that was particularly good and of course top down way i mean i can't believe the top down way has not been embraced in the uk i mean it's the best system i've known for demolishing tower blocks without a doubt no noise no dust no vibration and the fact that they then adapted all their machines to work within the structure of Top Down Way by um, changing the length of some of the booms, putting larger attachments on. I mean, when you went up to see it in Glasgow, you, I think you were pretty amazed at the size of the attachments that were on such a small machine. So it's the people probably have done the engineering side more, which may not be the ones that the general public would view as being the best. I suppose I look a little bit beyond it and see what have they had to overcome to get to this position yeah i mean that that very much plays to to a lot of the things that you said when you were idu president you know the fact that demolition engineers are problem solvers and i think the likes as you say the likes of despay and erith and people like that really exemplify exemplify that that notion don't they Yes, they do. I think uh, in 12 years, demolition is, has moved forward dramatically. Uh, we've, we've seen now the use on every site virtually, quick hitch couplers, for example, now. 12 years ago, you wouldn't have seen quick hitch. You certainly would never have seen them used with a hammer. Uh, and now you've got Armac at the moment this week uh, down working at Wembley, uh, removing a, a uh, a walkway down there the way that they remove a bridge on the m1 and to see their machines work and change attachments so quickly get the stuff greased and back up again i just think the whole thing has has moved from a bit of grass track racing should we say 12 years ago to formula one now and that's the way that some of these these teams perform and despite and armac are up there with some of the best in the world for plant i mean despite for example who else would paint their plant white so that they can see when it's got a leak i mean to me that's you know that that was a thing from 10 years ago and it's incredible i, I think that it's partly to spot leaks but i think it's also partly italian flair isn't it <laughs> yeah. Well, if you remember as well, when we went up to look at Top Down Way in Glasgow, to be uh, twenty odd stories, well, thirty stories above the Glasgow streets, and on uh, up there was a cappuccino machine and a true Italian cappuccino machine, just about summed it up for me. Some of the best coffee I've ever drank, actually. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, you, you've mentioned equipment, and, and equipment has been a, a a real sort of ongoing process in the uh, the World Demolition Awards. Any standouts? for you in, in in terms of pure equipment i think probably one company stands out that's that's kakurek i mean when we started to see the super high reach originally with rush uh, a fantastic machine but it didn't really uh, take off and it didn't work as well as it could have done and then kakura came along and really changed the way everybody looked at things because whatever you wanted 
Kikurek could manufacture it, take the base machine, strip it apart and put it back together. So it's a bit like, I suppose, again, going back to car analogies, it's a little bit like going out and buying a, a sports car and deciding that you wanted to go faster and run more miles to the gallon and corner better and have better tyres on it and you take it to a garage and Kikurek's a little bit like that. I mean, some of the machines that where we've worked on projects with them over the years, uh, the, um, the the super high reach initially that Coleman had in, in Birmingham, uh, then TDS had a machine which initially had a short arm on with a very large shear when we did oil rigs in Shetland. That machine was then repurposed to become a high reach. Um, <clears throat> Denmaster have got the one up in Glasgow, the Libra at the moment. And then there was the one where I, I went out to uh, the ship that ran aground um, off Alexandria in Egypt, where Hardy Worsey had got one that was working below the Mediterranean, uh, cutting up a ship. So it's the way that they can take the basic, take a customer's idea and turn it into reality. And I think it, it was, they were the first company that really listened to what people wanted. Adrian McLean of Armac has always said that some of the machines, the base machines are there, but the, the, the companies, the large companies who build them tend to be production line. They don't build one-offs. So, and that's the difficulty. It's a bit like if you were to go and buy a Mercedes tomorrow, you can get a standard Mercedes. But if you want something that's really going to move, you need to go to somebody like Brabus to put something in it that will make it go faster. And Kikurek were very much like that. One, you've already intimated at this. I mean, certainly in the first couple of years of uh, the World Demolition Awards, it was it was very much British-led. I mean, Erith had a, a lot of success. I mean, you mentioned Armac. I think they, they won early on as well. Um, but as the, the World Demolition Awards have progressed, we've seen more and more companies from overseas um, sort of making their presence felt, certainly the Americans, but you know, further afield with the Australians and from New Zealand and, and most recently from Argentina. Is that a case that the UK is... is taking its foot off the gas or is just the rest of the world really powering ahead now well, i think <coughs> excuse me Mark, i think it's a, a couple of things i think some of the major projects aren't there in the uk at the moment because of the uncertainty over covid so that's certainly the case but i think over the last two years particularly i think the world has embraced the awards more and they've realized it it is a true world demolition awards and on that basis i mean this this is the first year i remember an entry from argentina for example uh, we've had them in the past from new zealand from australia from india from south africa um <clears throat> but I, I just think there are uh, major projects in some of those places now that that we don't have the, a similar project in the uk because some of them are colossal in size and in the middle of nowhere i mean my favorite project Ever was the Liberty One where they did a, a smelting plant which was hundreds and hundreds of miles from the nearest town um, as I said before and those are the, the, the projects that we can't get in the UK because we I mean you know, Australia is so vast that um, some of the projects uh, that they get out there they're massive as a project in itself and logistically very difficult because of where they're positioned and I just think really that the sorry to interrupt the, the world is just uh, they've got it if, if for want of a better expression now they understand it's a world award they can enter them there's a number of categories that they can enter and they've done it i don't know whether covid has also affected the uk this year where people haven't had the staff in the office on a regular basis to put some entries together certainly significant there's less uk entries this year without a doubt when you're 
in your past life when you weren't being a judge you were obviously running cnd consultancy which is obviously being run uh, very well now by mike keogh um you were very involved in in things like demolition training and health and safety and all that kind of thing when it when it comes to judging world demolition awards obviously everybody around the world is working to very different standards how do you go about parking sort of the uk health and safety mentality to judge a, a project from India or Argentina, where, you know, as I say, the standards are, are markedly different. Well, actually, I, I struggle with that um, because I think no matter where you work, health and safety is paramount. So um, I find it difficult. It could be the best project in the world, but if the, if the health and safety side isn't there, then it can't be scored highly for me. Yes, they do approach things differently. And they, di they have different ideas, but at the end of the day, it's still got to be uh, their people have got to get home safe. The public have got to be safe. And those really are the, are the core ones for me. And then the expertise that's, that's involved in the particular projects. I mean, you did say that, yes, I was involved in training, but a, a lot of people forget that before training, I'd done 156 tower blocks in the UK. Um, I've been involved in them in some shape or form. So I have done a bit of demolition over the, my time and did the first org that came out of the North Sea with TDS and one or two other things. But I think because I was passionate about training the next generation, because I'm conscious that we're going to have a skill shortage, I tended to perhaps drift into training. And also because people were trainers, but they, they perhaps didn't want to do the, the, the hard work, which is prepare the courses in the first place. The hardest part of a level six or level seven, for example, a management course is to cover everything that must be covered to meet the criteria for the, the award of the MVQ. And that's the hardest part to write a one day course for a level one then it's easily done when you get to level six there's a lot more work involved and i'm happy to say that it's the de the manager course is still running being updated correctly as it should have been and being changed to suit the trainers because everybody's training style is different but the core is still the same i am going to get back to the world demolition awards in a second but given the fact that we're talking about training and, and bringing on the next generation uh, as i've already mentioned both yourself and terry Quarnby were very very you were there at the very outset of the uh, the demolition degree. You must be very, very proud now seeing the first graduates emerging. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I am. But I'm disappointed with, I've got to be honest, I'm disappointed with Wolverhampton University, my home university, but I don't really think they've done as well as they could have done with the degree itself. I don't think they've promoted it well enough to the world, particularly because of the uptake. Um, but I do feel proud that we've now got the recognition that we deserve within the industry to show that we are engineers we've always been seen as people who come in make a mess pick up all the stuff that's worth money and then go away again and that image of us is changing now and things like the world demolition awards change that and companies like erith Kelpbray, those sort of people change the image all the time because they they're so very very good at what they do Going back, oh, excuse me. Going back to the judging uh, of the awards. Obviously, as I say, you were a judge throughout, but you were also involved in in some of the winning entries as well. You you actually came away with a, I don't know whether you got to keep it or somebody else got to keep it, but you got a trophy yourself. How did that come about? 
<laughs> yeah, I did get to keep it. It's now gone to my Kia. Uh, it was won by the, the, I mean, both the old company, when it was my company won, and Mike won uh, with the new company. So uh, from that point of view, well, initially I, I didn't really want to enter the awards because I was judging. I didn't really want to enter. And then I realised that other companies who had got judges were entering and were able to win because obviously they can't then judge those categories. Um, and the reason we got involved and actually won the award was when we bought, uh, when Safedem bought Top Down Way and Despay over from Italy to do the Gallagher Twins in Glasgow, the tallest concrete residential blocks in the UK. Um, and we were involved in that from the early discussions with William Sinclair. I remember being with William on Red Road one day up there for a site meeting, the site meeting had finished, and he said, jump in the car, then we'll go and grab a bit of lunch, and I want to take you to show, uh, to show you a job that we've got to look at for GHA. So we nipped to the local Italian restaurant, had a, a sandwich there, a nice coffee, and drove around the corner. We drove into this courtyard with three-storey houses all around the edge of this courtyard, and right in the middle were these two enormous concrete towers. And he said, and we've got to bring these down. So we sat there for a bit and scratched our heads because it was throwing it down around like it does often in Glasgow and said, well, high reach is impossible um, because of the fact that we don't have anywhere to sit the machines. Uh, explosives is impossible because we, we get to damage the buildings no matter what. We need to come up with another way. And we, we looked at doing traditional top down and we thought that was a good idea. Uh, and we that's how we were going to go. And then William had been out to the EDA. I think he was EDA president at the time. And he'd sat down with um, uh, Stefano um, Panseri from uh, from Despay to talk about various things. And they'd said that they'd got this top-down way that they'd been using in Nice and it, how it worked and, and he thought it would be suitable. So they then got involved and came over came to an agreement with William to use it. And then our involvement from that, bearing in mind that we were then CDM coordinator, which is now principal designer, was to get involved to sign it off, look at the, the fact that you have to put a lot of propping in the building to hold it square, to take the weight of all the equipment. Uh, so we, we were involved in that all the way through. And then the other thing from our point of view was we got people coming over from Italy who didn't understand the, the way that we worked in the UK and didn't really speak a lot of English. So C&D spent a great deal of time in, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> training the, the Italians in some of the basic words that we use from, uh, not from a communication point of view, but from a health and safety point of view. So muster point, um, exclusion zone, et cetera, et cetera. We then made sure that all the method statements were written in both English and Italian. And we, we made them shorter and sweeter so that they didn't, have great deals to read about. So rather than one method statement covering the whole project, we broke it down into probably 20, uh, which meant you could you could do bite-sized learning, which was much better for them. Um, we sent a trainer out to Italy to talk to them about the way that we work and, and explain what we needed. Uh, they bought into that really well, as I knew that they would do, because they're such a professional organisation. And the project manager who came over from Italy spoke excellent English, which made it a lot easier. But you still got to think of these things. And the, I think the, probably the, the, the best part of it from a collaboration point of view, and one of the things that the judges commented 
about at the time afterwards was we also realized that the, the italian culture is different in the day their their meal they eat lunch times the, the big meal of the day is eaten at lunch times and it's traditionally eaten with probably a glass of wine so first of all we had to tell them that that was a no-no definitely not we're not going to do that and then secondly was find somewhere where they would feel at home so we went to the italian restaurant that william and i had had a, a sandwich at and sat down with them and came up with an agreement that they would set aside part of their restaurant even though it was very busy every day so the italian team could come in and have lunch and that really was a big thing for them because it meant that they were comfortable when they were then finishing work 10 o'clock at night or even later in the summer um they could then probably just get a sandwich and then go back to the hotel which we, they found locally um and it, it we thought possibly it would be difficult for them because i mean understanding me if you come from italy is difficult because my accent's pretty strong trying to understand a real glaswegian when you come from italy is almost impossible so we we didn't know how they would get on with that but they've they, they really got on well the the them guys who were on site understood what the italians were coming to do knew straight away that they were supremely skilled at what they did and i think once you start to get that and you have respect for each other because you're doing different parts of the job then the job runs smoother and then they learnt some of the the um the scottish expressions um a day when it's it's either raining has just stopped raining or is about to rain is often called drink up there so they understood Greek so that probably the Italian vocabulary now and at the end of the day it worked really well and I think that the fact that we we went the extra mile not C&D the, the 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 way the collaboration the team went the extra mile to make the Italians feel comfortable to be able to do what they wanted to do in the way that they wanted to do it meant the job worked too many people in our industry spend a long time away from home and they're not they're in the in a hotel a lot at night either watching tv on the internet eating takeaway food and it's not great the italians were having a really good meal each day uh, they were able to have coffee soft drinks and then what was happening after week two was they would go back to the same restaurant in the evening possibly for a coffee and a sandwich and then would talk to the locals and and it built from there and that's really the best part of it sorry to go on about that but that, no I, I i think that's all very worthwhile <laughs> I mean, one of the things i think that stood out for me with that story and i, I think it's one of those things that's, that's sometimes lost you know that that collaboration between certainly between safe dem and despay was born out of the european demolition association and i know when you were president of the ide you know you were very very keen on getting people together to share ideas and and share even sharing sort of details of, of things that hadn't gone quite quite right at, on, on certain occasions that's how you drive the industry forward it's not just all keeping everything secret and to yourself and I, I, as i say i do think that was a, a great example of of you know an, an italian company taking a step forward and a scottish company saying yep we we like what you're doing there we'll have a piece of that um I, I, and like you I'm, I'm just surprised i haven't seen it more you know i i, I could certainly see that popping up certainly in, in london birmingham or, or wherever else and it just hasn't happened yet no, it's in use at the moment in either Copenhagen or Stockholm, I forget which now, Henrik Bonnison uh, is using it in a Heineken factory um, at the moment, that's on, uh, been shown on LinkedIn. I, I mean, the, the, the difficulty in the UK is it's considerably more expensive than traditional top-down, and therefore that is, is the driver in the UK. 
in Glasgow, from our point of view, it couldn't have worked better. You couldn't hear the machines when you stood at ground level. So if you were in the houses, you, you didn't have any noise. There was no vibration. There was no dust because it's fully encased. And all of those things, yes, there is a price on that, but I'm just surprised that it hasn't sort of done better. That's the British way, unfortunately, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is, yeah. Well, you've already alluded to, to COVID. I don't want to dwell on the situation, but I know you in the past, you you and the your fellow judges on the World Demolition Awards have, have tended to get together at least once to you know sit down and have a bit of a chat and, and possibly thrash out the winners and the runners and the riders. I, I guess that wasn't possible this, this time. So how did you go about reaching a consensus for the winners this time? Um. Well, uh, they changed it around slightly that we, we had a scorecard. We, well, we've, we've always traditionally had a scorecard, but it used to be done face-to-face -face in the early days in London. Uh, over the last few years, we've gone to electronically. Um, at one point, I used to look at all entries when I was uh, classed as a head judge, but then that was that was ridiculous. With I mean, some years I'd look at 150 entries, and bear in mind I'm doing it, I'm doing it for nothing. There's a lot of work involved in that. So now it, the, the, the judges is split into small teams, so they have less to look at. And we score them out of 100 um, as to what we consider them to be. Those scores go back without any discussion between the judges back to uh, DRI, and then that should produce a winner. If it doesn't, um, then we have a discussion within the individual judges group. Um, and that that's sometimes where a highly commended will come out. Um, if if we've got two that are close together, um, and I mean, really, we, we go on points scored first. If that if we end up with a tie, then we all uh, nominate uh, which are our best three in in the category one, two, and three. So you look at who's put people in one, two, or three. You can still get a tie then, and then we we would have a discussion. So slightly different. We cut down the air miles. I mean, it was ridiculous that people were flying across everywhere to to London. People even flying from America to London just to come and judge something that you can do on a laptop. Um, I mean, I. Technology and, and I aren't really great, really, at my age now because I'm 67. But I, I've embraced the idea of, of video conferencing now and, and Zoom, and and I really can't see that you need to travel all the miles that I used to travel just to be in a meeting. I remember once driving all the way to the middle of Scotland, not for a safety job, to meet a local authority, and I was in the in the room 20 minutes, was awarded the contract, and I was on the road about. 17 hours up and back um and those days have gone now you can you know you, i mean from my my chaos point of view they're they're embracing the technology more doing a lot more now by zoom uh, him and matty are moving things forward but they're a lot younger and they're more tech savvy than me but, but i also think I, I mean this is a conversation i've had with with um you know my, my usual co-host peter haddock here you know with as a as a journalist and, and with him as a podcaster we'll sit here and and preach about you know the, the need to reduce emissions and you know save the environment and everything else and then we'll quite happily jump on a plane and go to las vegas for a week so yeah sometimes you just kind of need to practice what you preach don't you, you know? well yeah yeah but you can't if it's if it's something like an awards ceremony um then i believe that it's much better face to face that's how you make that's how you make your contacts. That's how ideas spark because you're sitting having a coffee or a beer or maybe having some food. I mean, that's how demolition news came about. You know, you and I and Jill were sitting in Istanbul one night uh, when you were served the worst vegetarian meal that I've ever seen in my life. And uh, <laughs> after that, the spark came up that we should, you know, a magazine needs to be done. And, and all those years later, however many it is now, 13, is it 14? I don't know. It is, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I am. One bad from um, five minutes when we'd had a glass of wine, was it really? It might might have been so different if it had been a decent meal. <laughs> it was your the, it, it was your face for the people listening. I've just got to perhaps tell them this that we we sat down in, inside uh, one of the cisterns, as they call them, uh, which is the larger underground rooms there, and we'd all been bought um, a piece of, of very nice beef in gravy with vegetables. And Mark was sitting on my left, Jill was on my right, and Mark said, "Actually, I'm, I'm vegetarian." So the waiter picked up the plate, walked to the serving station, scraped the beef off the plate, and then just walked back and put the plate in front of Mark again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was a vegetarian option. Thankfully, I saw the error of my ways, and I've gone back to eating meat now. I don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> now, now you and I, John, are speaking just a few days before the Institute of Demolition Engineers gets its new president. Obviously, it's a position you held with with great distinction for a couple of years. Would you have any advice for the incoming president? Um, I've spoken to the incoming president uh, already. Um, we've got a new incoming vice as well. That's the way that it works. <clears throat> uh, what I really, from my point of view, this isn't particularly advice for both of the positions, but I, I suppose uh, they will consider this. We've got to remember what the IDE set up to do is to educate the demolition industry, people who are members or not, where in the, in the world they are or not. That's the important part, increase the knowledge. And I personally think that we've taken our eye off the ball uh, for the last couple of years with this. We went down the route of the degree. Yes, I was instrumental in pushing that forward because I thought we needed the credibility. We now have the foundation degree, which is delivered by the IDE, not the University of Wolverhampton, accredited by the university, but delivered by the IDE. But at the moment, I think everything is pushed into the foundation degree, but that has become the be-all and end-all. My concern is that if we're not careful, it will become like other um, education within the demolition industry, whereas if you've got the money to pay it, you will be able to have the education. If you don't have the money to pay, you won't be able to. And that's a concern. There are a lot of people with, working within our industry who would like to have uh, the ability to improve their knowledge through CPD. And when Terry Cornby was president, Terry and I used to take what we called road shows around the country. We would take two topics, one in the morning, one in an afternoon, and we go to, I remember we went to uh, Dublin. And then from there, we went across to the northeast, up to Tyne Castle. Then we came down from the Tyne into Manchester, into Birmingham, the southeast, down into Bristol, over a possibly a two-week period, might even be a one-week, I can't remember now. <clears throat> and people could, could enrol for one or other of the seminars, morning or afternoon. They were reasonably priced and they could have bite-sized education. I also went round for the APS about 10 years ago doing 24 of these things on demolition around the country for APS members when they signed up. In the morning, the gentleman who travelled with me was talking about one topic and I talked about demolition in the afternoon. Um, it's difficult sometimes if you're self-employed or if you're working for a large company like Erith, Kelp, Ray McGee, these sort of people, uh, to get the time off to do the education that you need. Um, if it's a full day, that's probably difficult to do. If you could perhaps work till lunchtime and then go to a seminar in the afternoon and increase your knowledge, then I think it's worth doing. 
Uh, Richard Dolman, the incoming president, and I and Terry Cornby had discussions over the last two years. We found about 20 topics that we think we could do with these small bite-sized things. Uh, Adrian McLean and I have been discussing for probably five years that we're going to write a guidance on uh, dismantled lifts because there's no actual written guidance. I did start the guidance, um, but COVID got in the way and I really need to sit face to face with Adrian, which is difficult to move it to the next level. But then I looked at it and thought, well, will it be accepted if it's just written by John Woodward or will it be better if it's badged by the IDE? Similarly to the, how the NFDC have done the guidance over the years. The NFDC guidance, excellent as it is, tends to be for larger subjects, i.e. the whole of the dismantling of a tower block or the, um, the, the, the all of the attachments used on a machine. What I'm looking at is not have a training course for half a day on all the attachments. And yes, there is a training course, for example, on Quick Hitch, which Duncan Riddell delivers, but just perhaps get Adrian McLean or even Cormac uh, McLean, who's very knowledgeable, in the room for a couple of hours with some of these people to say, well, have you considered doing this? It's not just a question of this, it's this and this and this. And the, the IDE regionals in the Midlands, which David Keane got me to start many years ago, uh, following a, a, a discussion one day at, a, at an IDE seminar, he said, why don't you get some going? You've been to a number in Birmingham and, and you know that the content within the meeting is probably secondary to the content after the meeting when people stop and talk and mix and exchange ideas. And I'm a firm believer in exchanging ideas. One good example is, is explosive demolition. We, we, we've got people in the UK doing it, but the majority of explosives engineers are, are coming up to retirement age. I mean, William Sinclair's the youngest and he's what he's only in his 40s, but Dick Green's as old as me. Um, and and you, you look at some out there, just a half day, we're not going to teach you how to be an explosives engineer, but what's involved when you've got a project that you're going to use explosives for? Uh, what's involved if you've got a high reach? Um, how do you deal with, I mean, we've had a, a, a few discussions over the years, myself and Mike, how do you deal with things alongside rail lines? And Mike's been doing a lot of work with the London Underground. What happens when you need to work next to London Underground? Now, if you are a contractor who's worked in Nottingham, for example, and you're going into London for the first time, you may not be aware of it. Now, you, it may be only three people to turn up, say it's not what I want, but Terry and I, when we did the road shows, we used to get probably 60 people. Um, and then afterwards, you'd probably go for a coffee somewhere and a few beers. Um, so, cut a long story short, I'd like to see the idea do more from an education point of view. We've got money in the bank, and I think it should be used to develop courses, to, to exchange knowledge, not just to put it in the bank. But before I let you go, you and I have, have known each other for a long time, and I, I've seen the work that you've done behind the scenes and the fact that you have helped make the demolition industry a safer and better place, to be honest. I also know a lot of that work has gone unrewarded and unacknowledged. Um, I think as the demolition, the World Demolition Awards have proved, the global demolition industry has really made some really significant leaps in the last decade or more. And a lot of those improvements can be traced back to your desk so without getting all slushy about it, on behalf of the global demolition community, I just want to say thank you for everything you've done for the industry. It has been noticed. It is, it is 
gratefully received and you know good luck with your retirement i, I know you're not going anywhere but you know i i really do think it's worth acknowledging all that you've put into this industry uh, thank you very much for the kind words i have been acknowledged um both by the nfc and uh, by the idea which i really appreciate and then uh, the best one would be to be a world fishing champion but i don't think i can ever do that well you and i've got to sort that one out at some point because uh, yeah you, we'll you've got some competition there sir yeah, post-COVID, I think we'll do that. We'll uh, do our version of uh, Gone Fishing.